Well, good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, join me in Proverbs chapter 1. I've selected verses 20 to 33 in Proverbs chapter 1 for our consideration this morning. Our first installment in this little mini-series we're doing was to look at what it means to be a healthy church. This morning, I want to kind of develop for us what it means to be a heeding church, a church that regularly applies the Word of God to our lives. And the next time we gather will be a hearing church. How do we listen uh, to preaching? What is the expectations around that? So just a little kind of mini-series around the church in particular. And uh, the passage that we're going to look at is Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. The passage that was read is James 1. That'll be when we come to the next time we gather. It'll be the, the text, the kind of companion text to Proverbs 1. So Proverbs 1, 20 to 33 and James 1 are brother and sister texts. That's why I wanted him to read that this morning. And we'll also explicate that next time we, we gather together. And both of these texts, Proverbs 1 and James 1, provide us with a kind of a whole package, biblical ideology, so to speak. And really what it does, I hope, is to place urgency uh, into our worship. So when we gather and when we sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word, there needs to be an element of urgency to what we are doing in particular, Proverbs 1, 20 to 33, really addresses the sin of procrastination. And boy, do we all need that, right? We need to be reminded uh, this morning, and we all need grace here, about procrastination, spiritual procrastination. And in James 1, it's kind of the sin of hard hearing, right? And being hearers of the word and making sure that means that we are doers of the word, which will be the second installment in this mini-series. So if there were a title this morning, if you wanted a title over this section, verses 20 to 33, I would write into your Bible uh, this title, There is a Storm Coming. There is a Storm Coming. The principle that I want you to think through with me this morning is this. Delayed obedience is dangerous because it leaves you unprepared unaware, and in many ways, spiritually undone. If your heart grows cold, or to use an Old Testament word, fallow, hardened, it is not a good place to find yourself. It's not a good place to find yourself, certainly this morning. And in action, when you hear God's word, there is an expectation not just to be a hearer, but a doer. And when you have in action... When you're sitting under God's truth and you take no action, it is a costly enterprise. It is dangerous, frankly. It's dangerous for your soul, and certainly it's dangerous for your sanctification. And so I want us to think about that this morning. I want us to prepare ourselves as we kind of prepare ourselves for a pastor. A pastor is going to arrive on campus here, and they're going to want to know, do you regularly apply God's word? Not just hear it, but heed it. You actually do something with it when you sit under God's word. So let's talk about a little bit of context because I know we're kind of jumping all over the place and we're parachuting certainly into Proverbs chapter 1. So let me give you a little bit of context. The target audience is anyone who struggles with 
spiritual procrastination. That's the target audience. So that's all of us, right? But specifically, this is addressed to teenagers. And more specifically, it's addressed to teenage boys. If you know anything about Proverbs 1, 1 to 9, he constantly, Solomon constantly writes to his son. He says, my son, my son. It's the constant refrain of Proverbs 1, 1 through 9, 18. That is the target audience. But certainly it's applicable for all of us, not just for teenage boys, because I think we all need to admit in approaching a passage like this uh, that we all struggle with spiritual procrastination from time to time, where worshiping becomes a spectator sport rather than something you participate in. You have to come to gather to worship, to sit into God's word and have every intention to do something about the teaching of God's word as it's laid out for you. As we walk into Proverbs chapter 1, I want you to know, especially the moms and dads here, Proverbs 1.1 to 9.18 is probably the finest parenting manual, if there was a parenting manual, in all of Scripture. There are 15 specific discourses written to young people that they have to understand. So right out of the gate, for example, Proverbs 1, 7, 1, 9, it says, fear God. That's the first paragraph. You're to teach your children how to fear God. The second thing that happens right out of that is 11 and 12 of chapter 1. It, it states that you're to honor your parents. You're to honor your mother and, and father. So fear God, honor your parents. You can see where Solomon's going, right? Then he says you need to choose your friends wisely. And that's exactly what he covers in Proverbs 1, uh, 8 through kind of 19 there. It's about choosing your friends wisely, carefully selecting who you will spend time with, right? And so if you don't choose your friends wisely, it will lead you to a path of, of folly. So Solomon says, look, if you're going to be a great parent, and I know all of you want to do that, then you have to teach your kids how to fear God, honor their parents, choose their friends wisely, and then the fourth installment is the one we're looking at today. And it is this. You need to learn to obey God immediately. Without reservation. Without hesitation. No delay. No procrastination. This is Proverbs 1, 20 to 33's message here. Now, if we were to look at the whole book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs' intention is to teach us how to have wisdom. And when we're talking about wisdom, we're not talking about IQ. We're really talking about the skill to live a holy life. That's what hokama, wisdom, means literally, skilled at holy living. When you go into the New Testament, we quickly find that Jesus, on one occasion, is called the wisdom of God. We know if you want to have wisdom, it begins with a fear of God, Proverbs chapter 1. And then you encounter Christ in the New Testament. He is wisdom incarnate. So if you want to see what wisdom looks like, you look at Christ. If you want to have kind of spiritual street smarts, that's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. To help us think through what it means to be skilled at holy living. Not skilled at hypocrisy, but skilled at holy living. And so, here in Chapter 1, verses 20 to 33, we are cautioned, we are warned not to delay our obedience. That any time you sit under truth, under wisdom, 
you should have every intention, not just to be a hearer, as James says, but also a doer of the word. A healthy church regularly applies God's word. They're aggressively applying God's word. Not in a physical posture, but they're literally like spiritually sitting up, taking note to God's preaching, and eagerly trying to apply God's word. Here's the kicker. This is kind of a warning text. If you shun wisdom, if you shun truth, there will come a day where wisdom or truth will shun you. And that's baked into this text. And it's a word of caution, right? And so the title is There's a Storm Coming. The reason I have that title is because it's in this actual text. There is a storm coming for all of us. It's not if there is a storm coming. It's when the storm comes. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a messy world. Storms come to all of us. They find their way to each of our homes and, and our families. It, it's just a part of living in a broken, dysfunctional Genesis 3 world. And so Proverbs 1, 20 to 33 is trying to prepare us for the storm. Let's read it. I think it'll make more sense if we kind of internalize it by reading the whole text. And we're going to walk through it together this morning. Proverbs 1, written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, lived, began this chapter by saying, Fear God, honor your parents, choose your friends wisely. Now, do not, telling those young boys, do not delay your obedience. Look at it. Verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. Note this. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she speaks her sayings. What is she saying? How long, old simple ones, old naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. And fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I actually stretched out my hand and no one actually would pay attention. You neglected all my counsel. You didn't even want my reproof. Ah, I will also laugh at your calamity. When your, I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, there it is, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, tornadic activity. When distress and anguish come upon you, oh yeah, then you're going to call on me, but guess what? I'm not going to answer. You're going to seek me diligently, but you're not going to find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel, and they spurned all my reproof, shunned me. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. Conclusion, for the waywardness of the naive will destroy them and kill them. And the complacency of fools will leave them undone. But... He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread 
of that evil day. When the storm comes, Solomon provides for us three kind of urgent, sobering appeals um, in this particular text. They're kind of three hooks that we can hang our thoughts on as we kind of walk through this together. It's taken a, a larger narrative here in Proverbs and kind of breaking it up so that we can manage it and chew on it uh, together uh, this morning. So there are three urgent, sobering appeals here. Number one, first, is found here in verses 20 to 23 of this section. It is this. Wisdom appeals to the procrastinator. Wisdom makes her appeal to the procrastinator. So here's what's interesting. This is absolutely fascinating. I tried to point out when I read it, but what happens is that he uses a literary device here, and he says, she lifts her voice in the square. He basically describes wisdom, truth, the gospel, however you want to package that, as a woman. She's a striking woman, She's like the town crier, right? And wisdom is described all through this passage as this striking, very attractive woman reaching out to the community and trying to get their attention. She makes herself, in verses 20 to 23, available. She, she finds herself, as the text states, in the public square. She's on the busiest corner where everybody's trafficking, where everybody's walking, where there was no refrigeration and they'd have to go to the market every single day, she's on that corner where everybody intersects. So she's not hiding herself. It's not mysterious. It's very available, very out there, right? On the busiest intersection at the most prominent place. Troy would stay in real estate, location, 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 right? When you're trying to sell a place, you want to think about resale and those kind of things. You're always thinking location. Well, Lady Wisdom here picks the right location. She's basically saying, Solomon's saying, she is easily and readily available. And she's up on a box. She's where everybody can see her. She's crying out to the people. She's very attractive, very beautiful, very winsome, striking, bold, and to be frank, very unladylike in this time. In the ancient days, uh, a woman wouldn't do that. So this is the juxtaposition of the text that Solomon writes. They would typically be more quiet and, and more reserved in the ancient times, but not lady wisdom. I mean, she is out there um, and, and, and just kind of saying, look, at you want what she has to offer, truth. And so it's crazy. I love the, the literary device. It's cool, like describing truth or the scriptures like this beautiful, attractive woman. Sin, on the other hand, as you know, is typically done in secret, right? In darkness, in the quiet, covert, often not done in broad daylight. But truth, wisdom, it's out there. It's readily available where you can grab it and digest it and understand it. It's perfect. And so she is the town crier making herself available. Look at it. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. 
At the head of the noisy street, she cries out, at the entrance of the gates where everybody would have to pass, there she utters her sayings. So not only is she available, she's also urgent. Do you see the words that are used here? She's shouting. She's lifting her voice. She's crying out. Also, contrary to the kind of situation of the day, you wouldn't have that normally. But you can sense that there's urgency in the text as if there is a massive storm coming this way. And she's warning everybody. She's lifting her voice. At one point, it means to cry out, means to scream. She's trying to get everyone's attention. She's trying to get them to pay attention. She's not hidden. She's not passive. She's not relaxed. There's intensity. She's prominent and bold. The point is this. You would have to intentionally avoid her. There's no way to sidestep her. She is everywhere. She's, as soon as you walk through those gates, everybody's eyes, everybody's attention would go to ladies' wisdom. You could never say, nobody told me so. You could never say, nobody shared truth with me. Nobody gave me help. There was no scriptures available for me when my storm came. She is categorically unavoidable. You know what? It's still true today, isn't it? I mean, think about the access you have to truth, to lady wisdom. First off, I look around, you all have a copy in your hands. They would not have had a copy of the scriptures, right? That's a pretty big deal. That's why in James 1, we'll see next week, the first thing that James says, who's the half-brother of Jesus, he says, be quick to hear. Why? Because they didn't have a copy. If you didn't catch it on Sunday morning, you didn't get it. When you worshiped, it, it was just either you heard because there was only one copy and and James would be reading it to the congregation, but you didn't have a private copy. And then there's baskets of Bibles here. And then let's talk about the modern era. I mean, you've got podcasts, sermons galore. You could right now listen to any famous preacher that's ever lived, right, if you wanted to. You have access to truth. You have it in your hands. You probably have multiple Bibles in your house, right? You, you, it's probably all, there's one on the coffee table. You probably have one in your glove box. You might have one in your suit pocket. I mean, you have access to truth. That's the point. It, it's still true today, as it was in the ancient times, as she's crying out with blogs and small groups and meeting times and multiple opportunities. You really can't say, I didn't know. Now, ignorance is, uh, is, is not in play here. In the first century, she cried out. She made herself available. And you have access so when your storm comes and you're kind of groping to figure out what do I do next, Lord, or what verse do I run to, or what text do I go to, there should be no excuse. Because we're regularly sitting under the Word of God. We're regularly applying the Word of God. We're in a pattern of hearing and heeding. And when we talk about obedience to the Scriptures, and in this case, delayed obedience, we're talking about people who both hear and heed. That's biblical ideology. Biblical listening means you hear with the express intent that you will obey the scriptures. So wisdom is available. It's urgent. You can sense it. I mean, she's crying out. She's, she's doing everything. Later in the text, it talks about her gestures. She's actually stretching out her arm. So you're going by and you're looking down at your iPhone and she literally reaches out and grabs you and says, hey, Pay attention to scripture. 
Pay attention to wisdom. Don't get in the pattern of hearing with no intention of obeying. I'm here to warn you because the text warns you that is a dangerous place to find yourself. Because you'll get used to preaching and you'll become a professional sermon listener. Where you come in and you hear, you go through the routine, you sit up, you stand down, you sing songs, and you exit with no life transformation. Lady Wisdom's after transformation. She's after sanctification. She's after change. Well, what's her message? Look at it. Verse 22. Her message, her content of her sermon is this. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Her message is this. Why do you continue to procrastinate the application of the scriptures to your life? You're, what she's saying is you're spiritually idle. And spiritual idleness or shallowness, I'm here to warn you, because Lady Wisdom's warning, is dangerous. It's dangerous. And then she says, not only is it dangerous, but there are kind of three categories of people who approach hearing scripture. And the design of the three lists in verse 22 is for us to kind of look in the mirror and make sure we're not one of those three. Okay? And what I want you to see about this list, because I'm just going to describe each one of them in case one of them is us. But I want you to see the progression. Because here's the deal. You never sit under truth and remain neutral. Either you start applying it or you start hardening. And that's the dangerous piece. If you get used to hearing sermons and doing nothing about them, you put yourself in a dangerous place. And what happens is this. Either you say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to under the Spirit's influence, change what I'm doing here and edit my life, or I'm just going to blow it off and we'll live another week. Kind of model. That's spiritual procrastination. That's what Lady Wisdom wants to condemn. That's what she wants us to stop. Now, there are three groups of people, the simple, the scoffer, and the smug. They're easy to remember if I give you alliteration there. So the, the simple, the scoffer, and the smug. And note the progression. Starts out simple, then you start scoffing, and then you get smug. So the first are the simple. We'll call them the, 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 the ignorant. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way. They just lack knowledge. They lack understanding. And the text says they love being simple-minded. It's really the primary appeal of the whole book of Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs, over and over again, you're going to run into this simpleton, this simple person. The Hebrew word means an open door. You know what a door is used for. A, a door is used for to keep some things in and to come keep some things out. So when someone calls you an open door, it means you don't have discernment. You're gullible. To use an old 80s term, you know, you're, you're like a biblical airhead, right? You know, you, you just kind of float. You just kind of go with the wind, as James says. You're easily tossed about to and from. Lady Wisdom cautions us that we should not remain in the state of being simple, wide open to anything. Believe anything, examine nothing. And it's kind of where you get so used to hearing sermons, you just settle into your shallowness. It's like, I just want a, a little bit of Jesus, right? So what happens is, is that you be you kind of become church-like, 
Christian light, sermon light, lecture light. And when anybody kind of ups the ante for you, you get a little uncomfortable, right? We've all been here. Kind of gullible. Jesus in small doses. Paul picks up on this later in, in the end of Timothy. He says they love having their ears tickled. But we know that the scriptures are to box our ears, not tickle them. They're to light us up. They're to transform us. We're, we're not to be the same. When we leave here today, and a mark of a healthy church is when we leave here today, we're not the same. Right? We're, we're growing in Christ. And by the power of the Spirit and through grace, we're, we're going to be more sanctified. And so, the first person that he references is the simple or the simple teenager who is gullible kind of weak-willed and falls for anything. Second, we're introduced to the scoffer. So we go from the ignorant to now the arrogant. Ignorant to arrogant. If you continue to suppress truth and have no intention of obeying, then what will happen is you'll become unteachable. That is a dangerous place to be as a teenager and certainly as an adult. Because we're always to be engaged in learning. It's when you refuse to let the scriptures edit your life and to kind of humble your pride, right? And the text states there that they actually delight in scoffing. What do you mean delight? They actually kind of make scoffing a sport. Because when you're unteachable, you think you know it all, right? And we know from 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. It actually can inflate the mind. And, and, and Lady Wisdom said, hey, don't get a big head. Don't become unteachable. They, these are the kind of people that love to hear themselves talk, right? Think they've got the world by the tail. And they don't see the storm coming. They don't, they don't see the value of sitting under the Word of God and having their lives edited week after week. So the first group, the simple, they're, they're way too open. The scoffer? They're way too closed. They're closed off. They're shutting truth down. Third group, the smug. So you have the ignorant, the arrogant, and I would call this group the belligerent. The belligerent ones. They turn aggressive. It's one thing to just blow off the truth and I can't see inside your heart and the elders can't see in your heart and you just kind of keep going through the motions, kind of fake it till you make it kind of model. That's, that's you know... One thing, now you're actually, when you become the, the third group, the fool, which is a large part of Proverbs is addressed to, it's, it's when you just turn aggressive. And it's not a fool in the sense of, of, um, of mental deficiency, like you, you don't get it in your head. It's moral. So it's not IQ. You can have the perfect IQ in this room. And still be a biblical fool because you're not applying the scriptures to your life. So you intellectually cut yourselves off from truth. You have no plans to change. No plans to edit. You settle into smug disobedience where you're kind of scoffing and mocking the word of God. Mocking the people of God. And there's this hardening Thing that happens. The, it's kind of the fruit of apathy where your heart gets hard and cold and, and fallow. And to be honest, you're just downright stubborn, right? And so what Lady Wisdom does is, is, hey, just take a pause here and ask yourself, are you simple, way too open? 
Are you a scoffer, way too closed? Or are you smug, where you're starting to get aggressive, like you, you're actually speaking against the truth and, and counter the truth. There's just an incredible unteachability in your life. And he says, listen, she says, listen, I need to warn you. Then what is the message? That's the content. That's the audience. What's the message? Look at it. Verse 23. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you and I will make my words known to you. You know what the message is? Hey, repent. It's always the same message. It's what grace calls us to do. Repent. Turn from our unteachability. It's a decisive word. It means you take action. Remember I said in the beginning, inaction is dangerous. We are not a people in a healthy church. We're not a people of inaction. We're constantly making edits. We're constantly being sanctified. We're constantly becoming more like Christ. And she's saying, look, I'll pour out my spirit on you. I'll equip you. I will sanctify you. That's the heart of a learner. That's the heart of someone who trembles at God's word and walks in their humility, right? Applying scriptures to your life. You know when I know that I'm kind of straying off the path of being uh, kind of dutiful with application of the scriptures? I'm reminded of when Jesus said, you know, and this is what I always know when I'm kind of straying. When I want to pull the speck out of everybody else's eye, while I've got a log, remember Jesus saying that? You've got a log in your eye, and you're just reaching in with tweezers and trying to get a speck out of someone else's eye. That's when you're in danger. That should be indicator, red flag, that you're going down one of these paths, that you've jumped the shark, and now you're doing one of these things. You're either getting simple scoffing or smug in your application because you're pointing out things that are in other people's lives when you have this massive log coming out of your own eye. So, to sum up this section, Lady Wisdom indicts the procrastinator and says, stop. When you sit under truth, wisdom, the gospel, there is an expectation not for you just to hear it. It's not enough to sit under it. It's got to get in you. It's got to own you. It's got to take up residence in you. That's why you have the Spirit of God living in you, the resident truth teacher, the Holy Spirit living in you. Second point she makes. Wisdom indicts the presumptuous. Wisdom indicts the presumptuous. So you have the sin of procrastination. Now you've got the sin of presumption. Why do you need to stop delaying your obedience? Why such urgency? Because there's a storm coming. This to me is shocking. It's a shocking. It's kind of like shock and awe, that military strategy. It's kind of a shock and awe approach. It's as if someone's in church and they throw a cup of cold water in your face just to kind of jolt you out of your stupor that you're in, the shallowness and the smugness that settles into our hearts. It's a shocking section of Scripture. And in this section, 24 and following to 31, we learn that wisdom is patient, but it's not unlimited. It's long, but there are limits to it, right? 
To reject truth is dangerous. There is an exacting serious price to pay when the storm is coming and you're unprepared and undone and unready for the storm. There are inevitable consequences and they're horrific in this passage. Look what she says. Verse 24. Why is there urgency? Why the pressure? Because I called you and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel and you didn't want any of my reproof then. She says, I called. You said, no, thank you. She gestures, very unladylike. I mean, literally grabbing the tunic, like pulling you in, literally pulling you in, saying, listen, pay attention. This is so good. And you throw off the invitation. You blow lady wisdom off. Furthermore, you neglect her counsel. You think you actually know better. And she says, you don't know better. You can't do this self. This independence, rather than dependence on Christ, this independence you're, you're displaying is a huge, huge problem. You've, you've heard, but you've refused her many advances. And here's the scary part, folks. If you turn your back on wisdom and truth, the sobering reality is there's coming a day when wisdom and truth will turn its back on you. You shun wisdom, she says, I'll shun you. Yes, Lady Wisdom is patient. Yes, she's long-suffering, but it's not unlimited. You can cross the line. You say, where's the, I where's the line? I have no idea. We shouldn't worry about where the line is. We should worry about our constant need for obedience and edits to our lives. Galatians 5.8 states it like this. You reap what you sow. I would add to that you will reap what you sow and more than you sow, most likely. So the cause, you refuse. You can't pin it on Lady Wisdom like she wasn't available you stepped, literally had to literally step over truth to sin. You had to step over truth and be steadfast in your shallowness and in your presumption and in your procrastination. So what are the effects? The cause, you refuse. The effects, there are four of them in the text. Look at it. First, wisdom's going to laugh. I'm telling you, this is the tough text. Look at it. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. She's describing not a hurricane where you have lots of advance notice and we name it like Beatrice or something. Well, I mean, I don't know why we name storms like that. They need to be like, like Russian names, you know, like they take people out. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like Julie, you know, it's like, that's not a storm name. You know, it's just a side note. But I'm just saying like. This is not even a hurricane. This is tornadic. And the reason why, she knows because they come up out of nowhere, right? You start to see something happen. It swirls and boom, you have very little advance notice. We have sirens that go off, but it's only letting you know it's imminent. It's here. It's now. Where you can kind of go to Walmart, get your batteries and, you know, head north if you want to with a hurricane. There's plenty of advance notice. This kind of calamity, this kind of dread, it's horrific. It's devastating. It's catastrophic. That's the picture in the text. So you're going to experience dread and calamity, and, and you're going to panic, and she's going to laugh. 
You're like, really? Truth laughs at my calamity? Yeah, it's, here it is. It's, it's not derision. It's um, she can't believe that you spent all those years not sitting and paying attention to Scripture. And when you need a verse and when you need to turn to Christ and when you need to turn to God, you don't have anything implanted. You, you didn't sow any seeds. You didn't, you didn't memorize Scripture. You didn't sit under and pay attention and write it down and indoctrinate yourself and listen to it. And so when it hits, you panic and you're groping and you're running about. You don't know what to do because it, you, have, you have no preparation. You didn't do the, the hard work of preparation. You refuse to deepen your relationship with God. And she's laughing. It's a sarcastic laugh because she can't believe how many opportunities we had to implant the word of God in ourselves and we did not take advantage of it. She can't believe you're going to choose arrogance over truth. That's why she's laughing. Second, wisdom grows silent. Look at it. Verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Let me just remind you, footnote. We don't pray just in the tough times. We pray all the time. That's what Paul said, pray without ceasing. But we're, our tendency is to only pray when it gets really nasty, right? It's it real bad. Then we up our prayer life. It's too late then. Right? There, there's preparation. All the sitting under the truth and all the listening to the gospel and all the explanation of the scripture week after week. The reason we gather for corporate worship and we put the primacy on the preaching of God's word so that we're constantly ready for the storm. We're actually, as believers, built for the storm. We're the only ones that can survive the storm because we're anchored and moored to truth and to the gospel. It's not if. When wisdom grows silent. Isn't that crazy? It's one of those verses I wish weren't in the scriptures, to be honest. You'll call on me. I'm not going to answer. You will diligently search for me, but you'll not find me. There's actually, this is actually a record of the truth evading you. Not just passively, but actively hiding from you. You're groping in the middle of a storm. You're looking for the storm cellar, and there's no storm cellar. You can't find refuge. You can't find truth. You're looking for a verse. You're looking for some clarity in the, in the, in the mess that's all around you. There's none there. You're directionless. Why? Because you shunned wisdom. Wisdom laughs because you laughed at her. She evades she grows silent. She gives you the cold shoulder because you gave her the cold shoulder. See what I'm saying? Don't. This is dangerous. Don't play with application. You have to, on a regular basis, get into the habit of intentionally applying the word of God. Wisdom will hide. Verse 29, because they hated knowledge. And they didn't choose the fear of the Lord. It's the person that's frantically looking for some clarity, for some wisdom, for some help, and she hides. Wisdom will only be known when she makes herself known. That's why it's spiritual wisdom. This is the difference between general revelation and special revelation. Yes, generally you can look out, see things and say, okay, God created the earth. But special revelation, when you're in a storm, you need special revelation. You need to have the word of God, right? 
You can't just turn it on and turn it off. That's what we forget. That's the sin of presumption. The thinking that you'll just have all this access and you'll just do fine. And when the crisis comes, you'll just be built for the crisis. Oh, no. You prep every week. You sit under the truth and you store up for yourself the scriptures and theology. But what will happen is if you don't do that and you're not regularly editing your life, then you will have a thimble full of theology. And when that storm comes, it won't work. It doesn't sink. It won't be clear. Last, she says, wisdom will judge. Wisdom will judge. Because you hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproofs. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. You're basically going to be left to yourself. Independence. Look, you don't want independence. You want dependence, right? It's a big indictment. When she arrives, when the storm arrives, you will not have the wisdom. You will be filled with your own desires. And this is why I would remind you that to apply the word of God, as simple as that sounds, every single week, if you don't do that, you're getting yourself in kind of a bad habit. You're, be, you're training yourself to be a professional sermon listener where you can kind of come in and say, and I've been pastoring for years, and I sit back, and thankfully none of you are, are doing that. But I see people that come in, and they sit in the same seat, and they're worshiping and singing. But as soon as I get to preaching, and it could be because my preaching stinks, I get that. They're sleeping. They're like out. Like they're checked out. I'm like, it's like as soon as I preach, they're like, I'm like, how is that? Like a, almost like a... Like, it, like a, uh, you just pulled the plug on them or something. I'm like, oh, it's kind of a stymied by that. But since nobody's doing that here, I can talk about it. It's just kind of insider ball a little bit with preachers. But and we're like, why? You know, that's kind of the picture of that. Now, you can do it with your eyes wide open, to be honest. I can do it. And I have done it. And, and, and do it regularly. But I don't, I don't, for whatever reason, I'm distracted, shallow. And I don't take advantage of sitting under good, solid wholesome, life-changing, life-transforming truth. And I just kind of set it aside. I'll do that next week or I'll worry about that next week. What happens is that string becomes a cord, which becomes a rope, which hangs you. And that's the point of Proverbs 1. Watch out. It's dangerous to train your mind and to train your heart to be a hearer and not a doer. And that's exactly what we read earlier, Right? When you, you're kind of just, you're delu James says you're deluding yourself. This is the, the delusion that we get ourselves into. And now you see for the first time, maybe ever, wisdom has her limits. You think you're just going to pick it up and you'll be fine. And a crisis comes and you grab your Bible and blow it off and say, okay, how are we going to handle this one? It doesn't work that way. It's spiritual. And because you blew it off, you, you kind of, you grope and you rummage and you, you know, you try fleecing. Okay, Lord, if there's... When I leave Bardstown, if, if there's one cow, I'll know that this is your plan for my life. Just one black cow. Like as if it's a layup. Anybody could pray that prayer. You know, you know what I'm saying? You, you, come on. Or if there's any green grass around the school, Lord, I'll know that I'm supposed to take that job. Really? You know, if there's a cornfield or electric plant by our school where we meet, then I know this is the Lord's will. See, that's what you'll do. You'll default to lack of clarity Rather than just leaning into the scriptures and getting clear and having trust and dependence. And like Psalm 27 says, my hope is in the Lord. All of that, right? 
She basically says, you hated me when I was available. You threw off the fear of God. You would not listen. I will return the favor. Isn't that kind of frightening? It's kind of scary, isn't it? That's the intention of that. That's why, especially the teenagers, this is directed to, remember, the target's teenagers, but it's really for all of us. He's saying, hey, why? Because teenagers procrastinate. They think that one day they'll get spiritual. This is the caution there. Fear God, honor your parents, choose your friends wisely, and obey God immediately. Do not put off your sanctification. Do not put off your relationship to Christ. Your hypocrisy will get exposed. Back to that storm. It's interesting when you look at all the words around there. It comes at an inappropriate time, in an unexpected moment, at an uncontrollable pace. That's what happens. That's when life storms come spiritually. It's not if, it's when. We're all going to experience the storm. It's a sobering text. And it's a caution not to be sloppy and not to be lazy. But let's wrap it up. There's a third urgent and sobering appeal. Wisdom appeals to the procrastinator's heart. Wisdom makes her final appeal. She still has patience. She still pleads. This is truth calling out to us. Remember, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Verse 32. For the waywardness of the naive, man, it will kill you. And the complacency of fools, it will destroy you. I love this conjunction though, but. Here's our hope, right? Here's the grace in the text. But he who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Not exempt from the storm. None of us are exempt from the storm. There's no get out of trials free cards in the Christian life. It just doesn't happen. You're not exempt from the storm, but you'll be secure in the storm. You'll have hope in the storm and that you won't be blown about by every wind or doctrine that comes your way. You'll just be steadfast. You're anchored in the truth. And so I think the way the proverb ends is how we need to end this morning and ask ourselves, is a text like this a dread or a delight? When it comes to your heart, as you receive it, do you receive condemnation from it or commendation? It really depends where you're at and it depends on how you plan to apply God's word regularly and how, what are the disciplines of how you appropriate the truth of God's word to your life. And so I ask you, is it a dread? Is it cause fear? If so, that's its designed intent to kind of sober us up. It, intox it, it takes away the intoxicating effects of the world and sloppiness and shallowness and presumption and puts and bakes urgency back into our worship so that literally when we gather together, we come together to sit under God's word with every intention to change our lives, right? That's the mark of a healthy church. That's what we'd want. We don't want to, you don't want to just come here, listen to a talking head that looks goofy anyway, get up here and just talk and blah, 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 and let's go eat Mexican food. No, that's ridiculous. That is a waste of your time, right? There's so much more to offer. There's so much more. It's not just we have to sing four songs and we have to eat that funky bread and, and, and I always have to decide which cup to dip it in and, and have this certain amount. That's, all of that is intentionally arranged for your soul to grow, right? It's, 
It's what God uses in our lives to make us more like his son. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is what we are looking for. This is what you see when you, when you want to learn to, to walk in holiness and you want to learn to apply the scriptures. You look at Christ. He incarnates wisdom. So what you're seeing in its seed form in the Old Testament, the wisdom becoming this striking woman in the streets becomes the full picture in Christ. And that's why in the gospel we're constantly pointing you to Jesus. Uh, to, to do and to think like Jesus. Remember those, those power bands, the WWJD? What would Jesus do, right? That was a tool to remind you that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And that at every point, at every turn, you want to know how he thinks and how he acts. You want to appropriate the wisdom of God. So I don't know where you're at and how you think through application. This is one side of a two-sided coin, heaving. Next week, we're going to talk about hearing. Because I want you to think through there are seven steps on what it takes to come in through those doors and to come in and listen. Eighth step is heeding. You apply God's word. Not just hear it, you apply it. But there's some, there's some art to the hearing of it, right? There's some art to understanding it and applying it. And that's what James helps us with. Because they're brother and sister texts. They, they're almost companion texts. This one has more warning and teeth to it, to be frank. And caution. But James will come in and say, hey, but here's how you do it. This is how you kind of stay in step with the Spirit. This is how you stay in tune with, with the truth. It's a parallel text. Right? Your greatest need, my greatest need, is to listen to the wisdom of God. And to listen to Christ. But not just to hear, but to heed. And so my challenge to us as a church and as we prepare to make a huge difference in people's lives, we have to model it ourselves. We can't have the sin of procrastination in our church. We can't have the sin of presumption in our church and, and shallowness in our church. We have, to, we have to be eager and aggressive and urgent when it comes to applying God's word. If you don't know Christ, the first thing we'd encourage you to do is to take Christ, right? And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper to kind of punctuate and to put a big exclamation mark on our, our service uh, this morning. So let me pray, and then I want to read a scripture, and then we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper just to kind of put it all in its context this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for Solomon the wisest man in the world, cautioning us to be aggressive in applying God's word to our lives. That we'd not delude ourselves, but that we would regularly apply the word of God to our lives. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to this text, that we'd not toy with your truth, but we'd get in the regular habit of applying it to our own lives and having our lives transformed through the power of Christ, who is the wisdom of God. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.